Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Yeah? Doing good? I love it. Smiles in the front. That's wonderful. Well, hey, if I have not met you, my name is Brett Powell, uh, and I work with a ministry called Campus Outreach, and I'm an elder in the church, and I get the great privilege of uh, speaking to you this morning and opening God's Word up to you. Uh, Many of you probably were expecting Brian Lewis. Uh, I am not Brian Lewis. I am nothing but a shadow of Brian Lewis. Uh, Brian is a good mentor of mine, a good friend of mine, uh, and uh, he is actually going to be coming on November 22nd. He had a mix-up in his schedule. He sends his love to you and wants you to know that he's excited about coming on the 22nd uh, to open up the Word of God for you, uh, and, but you're going to have to hold off a, a couple more weeks, and so you're stuck with me this morning. Uh, but no, I really am excited. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, turn into Hebrews chapter 10. That's where we're going this morning. The title of this message is called Draw Near. Draw Near. So let me read this, and, uh, and then we'll pray. I have a word of prayer before we hop in completely. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. This is the word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you that you would give us the great privilege to come into your holy presence. And Father, we pray that this morning you would meet us in your holy word that you would open our minds and our eyes that we may behold beautiful things out of your law, out of your instruction, out of your word. I pray, Father, that we would receive your instruction this morning and your exhortation to us with open hands, that you would prepare our hearts even right now. And that, Father, we would respond to your holy word and that, Father, we would draw near. I pray, Father, that you would help me decrease, that you would increase. I pray that you would help me accurately preach your word, and I pray that it would be to your glory and for the good of your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The day was coming. He had been waiting for it. It was the seventh month, the tenth day of the month. He'd been crossing it off, waiting for it to happen, and now it had arrived. It was the day of atonement. And he was the high priest. He had spent uh, most of the night up uh, anxious uh, that he was going to come into the very near special presence of Almighty God. He was going to enter into the holies of holies. So he had great earnest prayer that night and that early morning. He woke up and made his way to the temple. When he got to the temple, he put on the right clothes to even begin to enter into the presence of God. And as he began to prepare, uh, he made sacrifice for himself and for his family by a ram. It was a sin offering. Uh, He he then uh, began to grab two goats. And as he began 
uh, these two goats would represent the sins of the people of Israel. Uh, and he would straddle down, and this was his least favorite part. He would take a knife and he would slash the goat's neck and the blood would spill all over his garment. And he would turn and he would cringe at the blood. But it made the high priest recall that is God's view of our sin. Uh, he then laid his hands on the other goat. That would be the goat that he would send out. And he prayed all of Israel's sins over the goat. And he would send the goat out into the wilderness to be sent away from the presence of God. At that point, there was no words being spoken. All of the other priests would look at the high priest and no one said a word. They knew this is a sacred moment. This is a scary moment. For the high priest had a rope tied to his leg in case he messed up. He would be struck down. He knew that if his procedure of this ritual was not excellent, God may strike him down. And so to the best of his ability, he fulfills the ritual. He enters in to the holy place, and it's dark. And he lights the incense, and the aroma fills the room as an a glorious aroma to God. The, the cloud begins to fill all of this area, and it was a means of protecting the high priest from seeing God's presence clearly, for if he sees him clearly, he would fall dead. And then he looks at the curtain. This is the curtain that separates him from the holy place into the holy of holies. And behind that curtain, he knows God's Shekinah glory will rain down. He knows this is it. I will find out how I've done. He takes a deep breath. He opens the curtain and he goes behind and he cannot believe. He is awestruck in reverence of God. He is in great fear and yet he's trying to take it in. I'm in God's very presence. Quickly, he takes blood and splashes it on the mercy seat seven times. One, two, three, till he gets to seven. Right as he finishes, he quickly exits behind the curtain. And he takes a deep breath and has a sigh of relief. His heartbeat's beginning to calm down now. His sweaty hands are beginning to dry up. He begins to have a smirk on his face. You can kind of see him shaking his head, knowing that he is one of a very few who has gone into the very special presence of God. He has got to draw near on behalf of all of Israel. And he has got to act as a mediator for Israel. And he says to God, oh God, thank you for being merciful to me today. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for being merciful to Israel today and for accepting our sacrifice. What a scary moment that must have been. Can you imagine? There's the curtain. You know when you go behind the curtain, man, I could be struck down. That's what it was like for a Jew to enter into the presence of God. And there was only one Jew. He was the high priest, and he could only do it one time a year. It was on the Day of Atonement. Now, the, the Hebrew writer is writing to a Jewish, Jewish audience. Uh, and as he's connecting with this audience, he's trying to help the audience understand one critical thing. The book of Hebrews, simply put, 
is Jesus is better. Jesus is better how, Brett? Jesus is better in his personhood. He is better than any angel. He is better than any uh, prophet, any priest who has ever preceded him. Jesus is better in his personhood. Then the book shows Jesus is better in his work. He is better in his uh, performance of fulfilling the law. Jesus is a better sacrifice. See, that sacrificial system that we just talked about was nothing more than a shadow of what would be substance, and that would be Jesus. See, the, the sacrificing of a goat or a lamb would only be a picture that God would one day sacrifice Jesus his only son. Jesus is not just a better sacrifice. He is a better ceremonial system. He is a better, he is better. He's a better priest. And so that's where we find ourselves. The Hebrew writer, he is literally writing to a crowd. And here's your crowd. It is predominantly a Jewish audience. They are believers. There's part of the crowd, though, that have intellectually assented to Jesus, Right? but they've not given their faith wholeheartedly to him. Uh, they are a crowd that are being greatly persecuted for walking in now what is called the way. Uh, that, that would be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, what you and I would call a Christian, right? They're being persecuted. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the sowers. He says, there will be those that will take my word they will accept my word freely, but when persecution comes, they will flee. See, that's what the Hebrews in this passage, that's what they're facing. There's many of them that are thinking about going back to this religious ceremonial system. And the Hebrew writer is flooding their minds with this idea, Jesus is better. There's one exhortation in this passage, only one. It's in verse 22, and it's very clear. Let us draw near. So what I want to do for you this morning is the first half of our time, I want to take three reasons that are written clearly in our text and show you this is why you should draw near to God. And then lastly, I want to give you four, call it a barometer if you will, Four things where you can measure, have I truly drawn near to God? Now, I remind you, he is speaking to two people. One, he's speaking to someone who is intellectually assented to Christ, but has said, I've not put my full faith in him. So he's trying to convince them to put their full faith. Two, he is speaking to a crowd that has put their faith and are struggling going back to their old ways. So that's the stance that we're coming from. There are statements of invitation, great invitation in this passage. I want to give you a few. These are just kind of point of introduction here. Uh, in verse 19, he says, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. In verse 20, he says, let's enter by the new and living way that he opened for us, right? In verse 21, he said, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, these are all invitations to draw near. But if a Jew heard this, they would not think, I can draw near to God. Are you kidding me? See, they, they know their religious history really well. And here's their history. You probably remember some of this. At Sinai, when God 
descends upon the mountain, the fire and the cloud is happening. He tells Moses, Moses, come here. But do you remember what he says to Israel? Stay back. Don't draw near. You are not invited here. You need a mediator on your behalf. And you must have that mediator on your behalf. Or if you draw near, Moses, if they draw near, they will be struck dead. So you can't draw near. That's what they're used to. They remember the story in Leviticus chapter 10 where Aaron's sons tried to draw near to God in a strange way and God roasts them. He sets them on fire. And the, the whole ritual of the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16 really is upon the occasion of Aaron's sons trying to draw near and not doing it right. So God helps them understand the ritual. Here's how you approach me and only one of you, the high priest, will do it one time a year. So when we look at our passage and we get this statement, since we have confidence, they think, what confidence? What confidence do I have to draw near to God? Everything I've read in the Old Testament shows I have to come reverently, fearfully with a mediator. And he says, you have one. Remember our three reasons why you should draw near. First is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. In, in, the, in the passage, uh, it says, let us have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of of Jesus. Now we would have, uh, you know, seen that idea of blood. Is we we have a far distant view of blood and blood being spread. Like even in my story, as I was telling you, a goat got it. Basically, its blood got shed. Some of you were even cringing, thinking about that idea, and that's that's understandably so. But the Jews were living with this insufficient sacrificial system. Uh, they they were used uh, to this idea. That I, am, I want to draw near to God, but if I sin, a barrier between me and God goes up and I have to kill something. Blood has to be shed so I can be brought back in to the presence of God. Now think about your own life. How often do you sin? So you would see this system to be very insufficient and very inconvenient. Think about this. You, you, you slaughter something and you go, I'm going to live as perfect as I can possibly live. And then you go out and you do something silly and it's sin against God. And now the barrier's back up. And so you would think, how often do they do this? Month by month, week by week, day by day, hour by hour, here's what you get. Barrier down, barrier up. Barrier down, barrier up. Barrier down, barrier up. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, shed his blood, and when he did, the barrier dropped for good. Does that make you want to draw near to God? You know, there's an example of the Passover. I just want to give you an example of, of how, how much this is going on. Just in the week of the Passover, historical records estimate that a quarter of a million lambs were slain in a typical Passover season. A quarter of a million. That's just in one week. That is crazy. All, 
killed in a two-hour time frame before twilight. This is what Exodus 12.6 references. This required 600-plus priests to kill a lamb, four lambs, every single minute for that two-hour block to be able to accomplish this. This flooded the temple area with a half million people moving through that area with a two-hour time span. Now, you thought you had problems when you were leaving a gaming event, driving away from, from an SEC football game, you know? Like, this is, you know, half a million people leaving all at once. Two-hour block, moving all the way through. And uh, they had a very clear picture of what sin cost them. See, the blood was permitted to flow off the, ste- the steep of the Temple Mount and into the Kidron Valley. So they had... This blood was just sitting there for literally weeks and would remind them, the stench would remind them of what it cost to come into the near presence of God, to be forgiven by God, for the barrier to drop down by God. So it cost blood. But you know what? Hebrews says this, For it is not possible that blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. See, the lambs and the sacrifices symbolize and point to the one true lamb that John the Baptist pronounces. This is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is slaughtered. His blood is spilled. And now the barrier is dropped for good. Hebrews 10.14 reads like this, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And you remember God saying, don't draw near, don't draw near. Jesus gives an an interesting language in John 6, 44. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And now, In this passage, after Jesus has died and raised on the third day, God says, draw near. What an invitation for me and for you. What an anomaly for the Jews. What freedom must have flooded their hearts, flooded their minds, and gave them a passion to want to come, to abandon, to remove. This system is obsolete now, and Jesus is sufficient. Does that make you want to draw near to God? I hope it does. Secondly, another reason why you should want to draw near to God is the flesh of Jesus. In verse 20, it says that we can have confidence by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. It is a new and living way. That word new there literally in the Greek means freshly slaughtered. Now think about the irony in this. How can something that's freshly slaughtered be living? Jesus' death takes away death and actually brings life. See, the death of the sacrificial system was being removed now for a new way that Jesus had been slaughtered on their behalf. And now they can live. They can live because Christ is living for all eternity. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. But I want to take you on a little journey real fast. Think about that curtain that it talks about here. A new and living way that Christ opens to us. He opens to us through what? Through the curtain that is his flesh. Let's take that for a second. Genesis 3.24. 
Adam and Eve, you remember the story. They've just sinned. They've just eaten the apple. They've forsaken Christ in that moment. They've forsaken God in that moment. And God sends them out of the garden. Genesis 3.24. Do you remember what he puts in front of the garden? This is so they can't get back into the tree of life. They have no access anymore. He puts a cherubim in front of the garden. And that cherubim has a sword that is swinging in every direction so that if someone were to draw near and try to have access to God, they would be annihilated. Now, in Exodus 26.31, here's why this is important. When God is building the temple, all right, when they're, when they're creating the tabernacle uh, and they're creating the tent of meetings, okay, they're creating this area where God's presence is going to dwell, uh, God creates the system and he tells Moses, Moses, there's going to be a place uh, and, and this is uh, where my holy presence is going to dwell in this place. I want you to put a curtain in front of this place. That curtain is the same curtain that we opened up with in my initial story. That curtain was the curtain that kept us from going into the holies of holies. Do you know what was embroidered on that curtain? Exodus twenty six thirty one. It was a cherubim. It was a cherubim. It was to show, it was to remind the holy priest, the high priest, no one is allowed back here except for by certain standards. Now, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, something happens to that curtain. Something so amazing. That curtain that reminds us that a cherubim is blocking our access is ripped from top to bottom. When Jesus cries out, it is finished. Ripped, top to bottom. It's to show this, God is taking away the barrier. God is now granting access for all time, permanently, completely, for all who would believe in him. Does that make you want to draw near to God? His flesh was torn so that you could come, that you could draw near. I was in sixth grade, and it was the all-star game. I got last. <laughs> and uh, I'm playing tailback at the time. And uh, first play of the game, and it's kind of a hodgepodge of the players. You know, we haven't played together. This is our first time playing together, first game playing together. But we're all the all-stars in this one league. We're playing a different league. And I remember uh, we got the ball first. First play of the game, quarterback comes back with the, uh, with the play from the coach. He says, power 348, be pow. This is you. Take it to the house. And I remember in that moment thinking, I'm nervous like, what if I don't perform here? What, what, if, what, if I, what if I get a yard? Is the coach going to pull me based upon my performance? And as all these doubts are running through my mind, Max, my fullback, looks over at me, and he, and he taps me on the, on the leg, and he says, hey, I'm blocking for you today. And Max was one of those guys who had, like, the 57 crossbones on his helmet, you know. I mean, this dude, like, you get the crossbone if you made the big play by making the big hit, you know. And uh, Max played on both sides of the ball. He played offense and defense. Max had a reputation to hit big. I trusted Max. And when Max said that, I got emboldened. I'm going to take it to the house. Ball snaps. I break left. Pitch comes. Secure the pitch. Take it off around the corner. I look at the defensive end, and he, he literally gets right beyond the, um, our tight end. Tight end couldn't hold the block. But he, Max is right in front of me now. He's my fullback. Max literally elbows the dude to the face. Dude goes rolling that way. I'm like, I'm on his hip now. I'm like, me and you, Max, we're like one. <laughs> Outside linebacker trying to make a play. Max literally lowers his shoulder. Pancake block. 
Max goes over him. I'm walking over him too, looking at him going, I can't believe this is happening. I've never got blocking like this before. I'm staying close to Max. Safety. Max, me. Safety's coming to try to make a play. Max dives at his leg, and no kidding, flips the kid, and I run down the sideline for a 60-yard touchdown untouched. I got to the end zone and said, I can't believe this just happened. I could not wait to go back and headbutt Max and celebrate, because that's what you do in football. You headbutt. I don't know why, but you headbutt. So you headbutt. We celebrate. I went untouched. Max said, I got you, and he did. Jesus says, I got you, and he does. Draw near. Draw near. His blood has been shed for you. His flesh has been torn for you. That you would not take your Bible and open it up for 15 minutes a day and bump up against it a little bit and then go and do what you really want to do. That is not why Jesus died. He died that you would draw near that you would encounter him, that you would experience his overwhelming presence, that you would engage his incredible love, that your mind would be purged with his beauty, that you would be overly satisfied by his glory, that he would have your will so devoted to him because you are compelled by the love of Christ. Draw near, brothers and sisters. Draw near. Stay a while. The third reason. We have a great priest over the house of God. Hebrews verse 10 and, uh, verse, or, uh, chapter 10, verse 11 and 12 says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why is Jesus a greater priest? That's the question that a Jewish mind would be asking. One, Moses was a great mediator. Aaron was a great priest. But they are nothing more than a servant in the house of God. Jesus is a son. He built the house. He sustains the house. It is his house. And the one that says, it is my house, intercedes for me and for you. Moses had sin in his life that needed to be atoned for. Jesus perfectly performs, absolutely sinless. Look at what Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says. Listen to this. Since then we have a, high, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is, an, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, you see it? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. See, Jesus is not disconnected. Moses, when he got angry, he struck the rock. He acted in sin. Jesus, when Jesus was tempted to sin like that, with tears and supplications, he cried out in complete submission to the Father. He knows your temptation. And you know what? Even when you fall, Jesus doesn't look at you and go, the law he looks at you and goes, come with me. Let me help you overcome that. 
I shattered that. I can help you shatter that. Addiction, gone. Broken relationship, healed. Busyness, slowed down. In Jesus Christ. He can sympathize with your weaknesses, friends. He's promised to. He wants to. For he loves you. Christian, he loves you. He wants to help you. Please, please, please draw near to God today for that help. Let him help you. Let him help you, friend. Hebrews 7.25 says this. Actually, yeah. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. Did you hear it? He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Did you know that Jesus is interceding for you today? By the way, do you remember that passage I read, Hebrews 10, 11, and 12? What did Jesus do after he made the offering? He sat down. He completed the work. Are you kidding me? What did I tell you at the beginning? When the high priest goes behind that curtain, what does he do? The high priest goes behind the curtain seven times, bang, 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 and he's out. Jesus goes behind the curtain and he sits down. There's no more holier place than the throne of God and Jesus is sitting on it. And he's saying to me and to you, I sympathize with your weakness. Come where angels will dare not tread. And he invites me and you in. Would you draw near? There's a book called The Pursuit of God. I commend it to you. It's by a man named A.W. Tozer. And Tozer is actually quoting a pastor, but this is what the pastor writes in his journal. And he says to his congregation in a sermon, Dear brothers, there are many things that we can exaggerate in the Christian life. We can exaggerate our performance. We can exaggerate our time in the Word. We can exaggerate in our evangelism. We can exaggerate in our prayer. I'll pray for you. Never kind of get around to it. We can exaggerate. But there are two things that you cannot exaggerate. One is our obligation to draw near. For if the Lamb of God spilt his blood and ripped his flesh and is now interceding for you, I cannot say this enough. He calls you to draw near to him. Can't exaggerate it. Number two, the love of Christ that awaits me and you when you draw near. Listen, brothers and sisters. When you read the scriptures, you are only hearing a whisper of how great a love he has for you. And it awaits you. And it wants to minister to you. And it wants to compel you. Take advantage of that love, brothers and sisters, and draw near. Now, four ways, quickly, that let us know that we have drawn near. This is like the barometer. This is a, how do I know if I've drawn near to God? Remember, he's talking, some of them, he's trying to encourage them to give their faith in Christ. This is how I know I'm really a Christian, part of what I'm going to do here. Secondly, is if I really am a Christian and I hear something like this, it should stir my heart to these things. So first, he says, let us draw near with a true heart. That word true heart literally points to a heart that has been changed. We, we will use a theological term, regeneration. Let me use another term in the scriptures uh, um, in uh, John 3, 3, to be born again. All right? It's a picture of Ezekiel 36, 25, and 26. Listen to this. God says, 
I will change your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. I will help you walk in my commandments and obey my statutes. I, I, God will help you. And if he helps you, brothers and sisters, you can't help but draw near with a true heart, with a sincere heart, with a genuine heart. In 2008, I was raising support to come on staff with Campus Outreach. And I wrote in my journal, um, I was reading a book, there's a man named George Mueller. George Mueller was known for a man that abided with God. He prayed much. Prayed 50,000 plus prayers that were answered. Amazing man of God. He got sick and he withdrew from his particular task. He had orphanages and a church and he just needed time, time to break away. And uh, it was his practice to read much of the scriptures. I mean, he read the Bible through 200 times. And this is a man who loves the Bible. But he's reading the biography of George Whitfield, and he's on his knees, and he's meditating over Psalm 63. And this is what he wrote in his journal. He prayed for several hours a day, uh, meditating on Psalm 63. Then he wrote, God blessed my soul much today. My soul is now brought into the state that I delight myself in the will of God as it regards my health. Obviously, he was sick. Yea, I can now say from my heart, I would not have this disease removed till God, through it, has bestowed the blessing for which it has been sent. What hinders God to make of one so vile as me another Whitfield? Surely God could bestow as much grace upon me as he did upon him. O my God, or O my Lord, draw me closer and closer to thyself, that I may run after you. I desire if God should restore me again for the ministry of the word, and this I believe he will do soon, judging from the state in which he has now brought my soul, that my preaching may be more than ever the result of an earnest prayer and much meditation, and that I may so walk with God that out of my belly may flow rivers of living water. Can that be a mark for you? That is the mark and the manifestation of when someone draws near to God. When people get around them, they get God's word. They get God. Here's your application for this particular barometer checkpoint. Slow down and check your heart. Is it genuine or are you just checking your list? Are you just spending a couple minutes in God's word and going on? Now, I I know there's different seasons in life. I know there's seasons when you don't have as much time as others. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about pressing in and taking advantage that Christ has shed his blood, ripped the veil, that Christ is is, uh, representing you and interceding for you. Draw near to God. That's my hope for you. True heart. Secondly, a full assurance of salvation. You heard it in, uh, in George Mueller's statement. I have, I have an assurance because he was claiming the promises of God, believing the promises of God. But what keeps us from believing God's promises? What keeps us from genuinely drawing near? Well, it's sin. See, sin is the veil that we try to drop over God. And as A.W. Tozer puts it in his book, The Pursuit of God, God wants you to be awakened. All of your faculties, your mind, your taste, your eyes, your ears, all of your being to be awakened to his presence is here right now. 
He's here, just as certain as you and I are here. He is here right now. And he's changing hearts in this room. And he's breaking addictions in this room. And he's ministering to people in this room this very hour. Slow down and ask, is my heart genuine? And claim the promises of God to have full assurance. Paul Washer said, if you are caught in sin, you may be a Christian but you have no assurance of your salvation. See, when we're caught in sin, it's as if a cloud is around us and we lose perspective. We begin to doubt. What does this doubting come from? Maybe I can't believe in God. You're caught in sin. Repent of your sin. Lay it at the cross and watch the fog lift. Sin keeps the veil, but the veil is really not there. It's as if Adam and Eve, when they're walking in the garden, God could still see them. But they went to hide behind leaves. God says, and I invite you, put the leaves down and put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Draw near to him, brothers and sisters. The application there is to, is to shed the self-centered sin that so easily entangles me and you. Would you shed that sin today? Would you confess before the Lord? Would you lay it down? I hope that you will. And claim that God has forgiven you. And, and hear those grand words. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's what number three is all about. The heart sprinkled clean of an evil conscience. You know you have drawn near to God when your heart begins to feel clean. You feel at peace with God. You feel right with God. And it's not because you've not paid attention to God. And it's not because you've done some good works to hopefully gain God's favor. It's because you know that you know that you know that Jesus died in your place. And Romans 8.1 is for you. And so you take the shame that is in your life and you say, Jesus faced that shame. You take the guilt. Jesus took that guilt. You take that addiction or that brokenness and you cover it with the blood of Christ. That's what he means to have your conscience, your evil conscience sprinkled clean. This can only happen is if, if you've really surrendered your life to Jesus. Some of you, when I'm talking, is foreign. It's like I'm speaking a different language to you. If that is you, brothers and sisters, I would submit to you, examine your heart to see if you're really in the faith. When Jesus enters in, you're clean, and you know it, and you know it. Fourthly, our bodies washed with pure water. This is um, baptism is, is kind of the picture in view here, uh, but it's an out, baptism is an outward sign of an inward result. We've already talked about this, but baptism is only a result. It's a, it's, an, it's a sign that you've been regenerate, that you've been born again. God has changed your heart. And listen to this. When God changes your heart, your desires change. When your desires begin to change, right, your lifestyle changes. So if you say, I have Jesus, but you are still acting in a sinful, rebellious lifestyle, you must examine yourself. And if what I'm saying to you right now frightens you and you confess your sin and come to the throne of God and ask for forgiveness, you're probably a Christian. If you take what I'm saying and you say, nah, I'm not that bad, you may not know Jesus. You may not know Jesus. So, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, husband, wife, Jesus, the church. Here we go. 
Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now watch this. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, water, by the washing of the water with the word. See, he washed her with water, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or in any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Can I just tell you this for a second? God wants you to sit, application, sit under his holy word. Jesus says in John 17, 17 in the high priestly prayer, Father, set them apart, consecrate them, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. Do you sit under the word of God? Draw near. If you're drawing near, you'll want to sit under the word of God, right? Traveling up the coast was a gentleman, missionary, amazing man of God named Hudson Taylor. He was traveling all over the Providence and barely had any time to stop, to eat, to, uh, to read his Bible. And they would go to bed at night and uh, they would all pack into this big room and they would have sheets kind of dividing each person's uh, area. And it is said that his disciples that went with Hudson Taylor, they were so deeply moved by this one act. I mean, this act changed them more than anything else Hudson Taylor ever did or said. At two in the morning, they would hear a match strike. And they would see the candle lit and they could see it flickering behind the curtain. And they knew what Hudson Taylor was doing. They knew he was sitting there on his knees, poring over his Bible, his New Testament. From two to four in the morning, Hudson Taylor did that faithfully. He was busy, but he knew my lifeline is to draw near to God. Here's my challenge for you today, my big ask. Will you slow down and get off of your devices and stop watching all the TV shows? It's okay to have a TV show. We take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. It can be a damning thing. So let's take the good things in modesty. Here's what I'm saying. Will you slow down to spend time with Christ? Will you shed the self-centered sin that entangles you? Will you confess it to the Lord today? Will you begin to spread the gospel truth over every area of your life and experience God's freedom? For Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. Be free, friend. Be free. And lastly, will you sit under the mighty hand of God? Brothers and sisters, I exhort you again with the words that are used in our text. Let us draw near to God. Today, you get the great privilege to draw near in a unique way. We have communion. Communion is for the Christian. If you don't know the Lord, this is a great time to examine your heart, examine your life, perhaps even give your life to Christ. But this is a time for you, brothers and sisters, uh, to come forward, uh, to take communion. And we remember that Jesus tore his body so that we could have access permanently. Jesus shed his blood that you could be accepted and loved by God. Jesus is interceding for you even this hour that should give you great confidence. Take this time to repent in your heart. If there's a relationship that needs to be reconciled, approach your brother and sister and ask for forgiveness. Be reconciled. And lastly, when you come to this table, come rejoicing in King Jesus, our great high priest, for he is greater than. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you. I thank you that we don't carry the same 
anxiety when we come into the most holy presence. In fact, you have promised to dwell in us through your Holy Spirit. And you are with us today. I pray for every person in this room that if they don't know you, Father, if they're asking the question, how, 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 I pray that they would surrender their heart to you this very hour. And for those that do know you, God, I pray that they would boast, that they would, that they would slow down, they would shed the sin. Father, they would apply the gospel to every area, and that, God, that they would love your holy word. Set us apart by your word. Help us draw near in word, in prayer, and in our lives. We take this great privilege to heart this morning, and I pray we would act on it in your mighty name.